You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, with a new live show in 2020. I would like to begin our proceedings here today by uh, reaching out to your good, true, and beautiful ancestral helping spirits and reaching out to mine, to my good, true, and beautiful ancestral helping spirits, to those who lived well and died well, who walked this earth who met the challenges of their time and dealt with all the crazy issues of being a human. And they did so in a way uh, that they were able at death to reconcile their life and are able to present themselves to us at this time as true ancestral helping spirits and to bring to us the living, the legacy of those who have gone before us. And may we show the wisdom and the skill to reach into that legacy and allow these people to help us to not do the same things they did that did not work. So let us not repeat the same problems. Let us not repeat the same answers to those problems that don't answer the problem. And let us draw deeply on their support to innovate and create and to make lasting change happen where we need to as we face the deep, deep, complex, beautiful challenges of our time. So as these uh, human ancestral helping spirits reach in and begin to assist us here today, I'd like to encourage you to reach beyond the humans, to reach all the way out to the rest of life here around you, that which is non-human, from the smallest microbe to the largest mountain to the plants and animals and bugs and all that is in between. And to all that is in that great web of life, reach out to those ancient ones. There are many, many beings who have been here long before there was ever a human and will be here long after. So let us reach to those old ones and ask them to help us to step beyond the trivial of our time, the distractions of our time, to lean into that which abides, that which does help us to cultivate the deep nature of our soul in this life. Help us to do what we've truly come here to do as part of this great web of life. And so as all of these many helping spirits lean in and begin to pay attention to you, to us, to these proceedings here today, let us call ourselves in to our head into our heart, into our belly, reach down to the earth itself for a moment and just stop all the many things you're most likely doing all at the same time and focus, focus on your gratitude for your life, for all that is before you in this day, the profound potential in the fact that you can change anything as long as you're still breathing, your ability to learn and to grow and to spend your resources in creating a better life and a better world for you and those around you. 
We give gratitude to the earth for this life. And reach down through all the layers of the earth, moving down, letting your gratitude pour out for all the many things in your life that you have gratitude for. Reaching down to the center of the earth and taking a moment to connect deeply to those energies that draw their true power out of silence, stillness, darkness, that which replenishes and restores and renews and as you reach deeply into the energy of the earth and draw it up into yourself and into your day draw up this energy that nourishes that which is before all that we call abundance here on earth we call up that energy that is in everything and supports all things that which renews us we call that up and into ourselves and into our life and we let this energy move through us so we can restore our sense of who we are where we stand and what we stand for and may that be the things that have heart and meaning for you in your life and may we reach out to this energy that is so deeply wise in its beauty and complexity of the interrelationships of everything here in the web of life and let us draw from that that wisdom and come into right relationship with all our own inner selves right relationship with each other here on earth right relationship with the environment and right relationship with the invisible world it is easy to say these things and simple to do but not so easy and so we call out to the energy of the earth to help us to move into right relationship with ourself and let that roll out and affect all other relationships in our life let us reach up into our heart and our head into the sky out through the atmosphere, out through the cosmos, and all the way up to the highest power of the universe by whatever way you know this power, whatever name you call it, to reach out to this energy and to begin to draw it down into you, into your day, into these proceedings. And in this way, you call in the essence energy of blessing, of protection, call in inspiration and illumination, alignment, the ability to focus we call this in as we reach out to the benevolence of our universe and draw it in. Do something in this day to allow that benevolence that you feel to flow out to another. And so as we call these energies in and send them all the way down to the center of the earth, connecting above and below between us, let us allow this energy to awaken the spirit of our own heart and within our heart, deep, deep in the center of our heart, let us awaken the power of the heart to be with that which is uncomfortable, to be with the dynamic tension of the passions of why you are here and the clarity of how your mind would like it to be and to bring those energies together into this tension this dynamic tension that is uncomfortable and let that discomfort create some deeper sense or understanding of what it is that you are here to do in your life and what you need to do to make those gifts manifest and for all the spirit help that you have to do that and all the spirit help I have to do that, I am deeply grateful. 
May what needs to be said be said here today, what needs to be heard be heard, and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I'd like to give enormous gratitude to the helping spirits that are present with us, whether you choose to connect with them or not. And remember, it doesn't really matter if you believe in them because they are here for you. And remember that what you believe is what gains your power in your life. And so with that in mind, I would like to give thanks to those people that choose actively to support the show. Why Shamanism Now is listener supported. The archives are vast and we are working on updating that site. But even the site itself with the archives that are free for anyone who can get on the internet anywhere in the world and translate those shows, engage with them as they please, that to just pay to safely have the traffic on the site is $500 a month. And so, so the archives are free and it isn't free because what shamanism teaches us is nothing in the world is free. Everything is connected. Everything is a transformation of energy from one form to another. So I would like to give gratitude to those of you that are challenging that reality in your life, that are um, feeling the movement that the the show creates within you, positive or frustration, um, anger and agitation, whatever it might be, that it moves you and you allow that movement in your heart to do something uh, to support the show large or small, be it financial, be it engaging with the teachings of the show, sharing the teachings of the show, sharing the show, all the many things. But I would like to give gratitude to new supporters like Camilla and Anthony and Sylvia, to Eleanor, Irina and Melinda, and all of you who have discovered the show and are engaging with this uh, for the first time. And that is because of listeners like you that were able to donate the show, that kept the show live and on the air for 10 years. So here we are again today, and we are live today. It is a new show. Um, If you have any questions about today's topic, you can call in at 512-772-1938, or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. All right, everyone. The topic today is really about what what does the word shaman mean because I believe understanding that is critical if you want to be clear about who gets to use the word shaman. Um, I really feel like this is uh, Groundhog Day because I'm sure I have done this show several times, <laughs> but I can't find it in the archives, which speaks to our need to reorganize the site around the archives, so that's another project for this year. But... Um, I'm going to circle back around again. I recently received a few emails of people asking. I'm not sure whether they actually tried the archives to find an answer. But I I believe that there is a level of complexity necessary if you want to actually have a conversation about whether or not we can use the word shaman and how we should, depending on who we are. And... I believe there is an aspect of this that also has the same kind of the responsibility is on you to educate yourself that has come out of um, at least the United States conversation around um, things like the Me Too movement, so sexuality, around 
gender, um, around race and color. And basically, every issue that exists because of systemic injustice requires a level of patience and education, patience with complexity and education so you can be present in complexity to actually talk about it. So with that said, um, Nicholas Breeze Wood published a free issue of Sacred Hoop. Now, for those of you that don't know, Sacred Hoop is an independent magazine about shamanism and animistic spirituality. Um, so he published this free issue several years ago. It is still available. You go to uh, sacredhoop.org and it is under the Explore tab. Okay. So you can download the very article that I'm talking about today as well as the whole issue. So in this issue, Nick co uh, coalesces decades of deeply nerdy research. Nick is deeply, deeply into all facets of shamanism and shamans. And well, anyway, never mind. Nick is, is amazing. But when I talk about deeply nerdy research, I mean serious, deep, expansive, potentially even obsessive research into this experience of human beings on this planet. And so I and I have nothing but respect for people that put that kind of time and energy into anything that is ultimately to create good in the world. Okay, so deeply nerdy research, training, lots of training, decades of training, and decades of personal experience working with spirit. Um, Sacred Hoop has been published since 1993. So I'm literally talking about decades of Nick's own work, own research, own training, own personal experience, and reading everybody else's articles. Like everything, everybody else's articles. Okay, so he really does his best to share his understanding about what a shaman is, what shamanism is, and what animism is in this free issue. So in his opening article entitled, So What Exactly Is Shamanism Then? He says, among many other things in this article, he says, not all people are cut out to dive deep in, the, in this, to be a shaman, in essence. Okay, so not all people are cut out to dive deep. And only those with spirit's blessing and help will learn to go vastly out of their depths and return safely, if they are lucky. Not that they're lucky to have spirit's blessing and help, but that even with spirit's blessing and help, they return safely from where they might be taken in their efforts to work on another's behalf. So Nick continues to say, but everyone can live a rich animistic life and everyone can learn some simple shamanic first aid. And I think the world would be a lot better off if more people did. And I agree with this statement and I invite everyone to educate yourselves to learn to use your words carefully as if your words actually mean something because they do. 
So this issue that I'm referring to, this free issue of Sacred Hoop, is well worth downloading as part, not all, but part of your education. So I don't agree with Nick about everything. That's why I'm bringing some of his work into the show today. That it's an effort for me to demonstrate what I'm trying to talk about. Is that we benefit from working with people whom we don't already agree with about everything. Now in that statement, I really mean to talk to, to encourage us to become people who can actually benefit from working with people that don't agree with us at all. And granted, Nick and I are pretty close in our understanding of things, but we have a really big fundamental disagreement. At the same time, I can still look at Nick's work and, the, and with a certain level of education that allows a certain level of complex engagement with what he's doing and have enormous respect and appreciation for it and a lot of agreement, even though I don't agree with everything. And so this is the first level of complexity we really need to not lose, or another way to say it is we need to cultivate, is that ability to have a conversation, an active, working, productive conversation with someone who doesn't agree with us about everything. Okay? So, I don't agree with Nick about everything. And that's, again, why I'm bringing his work in today. But I really like the map that he created that uh, opens that issue. I love maps. I love that map in particular. Um, and again, it's just important that we work with people we don't already agree with. So like Nick, for example, would likely, I've never had this conversation with him to be honest, but my guess from reading his work consistently over time, that he would probably consider my cycle community, which is the students that engage in my three-year program and then stay as part of the community that supports those teachings, staying alive and well in the world. He would probably define it as an animist community with some, quote-unquote, rare shamanic elements. <laughs> and that's okay. I can live with that. I don't, but he could. And I would still love Nick and appreciate his work. So this distinction arises because we define shaman very much the same, but fundamentally differently. And honestly, unless you could have this level of conversation about shaman with me, I don't really care whether you think I can use the word shaman or not. Because it's too important for us to not have conversations at this level of complexity. My point today is that if you don't have the level of patience for this distinction that I'm trying to make here today, you really don't get to tell people whether they can or can't use the word shaman. And I have said many times on many shows, appropriation is real. It is theft. It is the theft of intellectual property and particularly white people. But anyone in what is considered the first world needs to educate themselves around appropriation. I don't consider using the word shaman correctly, appropriately, appropriation. 
And so what I want to talk about today is why. And then I frankly don't want to do any more podcasts about this because I find the level this argument is usually approached in the world around me at least profoundly simplistic and uneducated and angry and ineffective at creating any kind of lasting change that will give the next seven generations a viable planet to live on. And this conversation around shamanism and what a shaman is is too important because we need real shamans to get us there. And we need real shamanic practitioners, which is what I really refer to as uh, animist community. So an educated animist community like Nick talks about. People that have a rich animistic life and have learned simple shamanic first aid. See – I think if you know simple shamanic first aid, you're a shamanic community, a community that holds the collective wisdom that you need to support the rising up of – you're like the mycelial layer that allows for the rising up of certain people to be the shamans, little mushrooms that rise up out of the mycelial layer. That's how I see it. That's different from how Nick sees it. It's actually a pretty significant difference with two people that – on the surface agree with each other, right? But this is really important if we're going to understand and use the word shaman well. Okay, so where was I? Okay. Um, The other thing that is really important about all of these conversations is that it is much more complex than claiming you have a certain right because of the color of your skin. That is a whole nother issue for a whole nother show. But that is really important to understand is you can't claim rights based on the color of your skin, period, about anything and especially not about this. Okay. So beware all of you um, that uh, be, be, be aware of all of the ways that you are in your life moving away from complexity because it's hard. So the way you engage with media of any kind, the way you um, protect your own personal life through your preferences, right? Selecting all these preferences so that you always are in a bubble world of your own um, comfort, the way you engage in politics, definitely the way you engage in social media, um, never reading books, right? These are all ways that we can choose to cultivate our capacity for complexity complexity right or move away from it and numb ourselves out and lose our capacity for complexity and so what we're really looking for is to cultivate your compa- your capacity for complexity without anxiety so for many people beginning to engage in complexity creates anxiety and we all need to settle down, do enough meditation, and be grounded enough that we can approach the issues of our time and embrace the complexity of the issues, which requires education and experience. Okay. And keep in mind that one of the jobs of the healthy ego is to focus your right use of your mind 
on this exactly this sort of thing. Complexity, how to engage in complexity with the right use of your mind so you're not just creating anxiety and distraction. Okay. So this is a task for you in 2020. Okay. All right. So let me reach into a different topic for a minute just to talk about this argument. Okay, the basic argument that I'm making here today about the use of the word shaman, which does rely on the definition of shaman, but it, it's actually also about a second issue. Okay, so let's look at the Me Too movement. Okay, and so I, the, I'm not going to go deeply into this, but basically what I'm saying is the Me Too movement was, is about giving, in many ways, giving women what they needed to, and people who are simply feeling abused, uh, particularly sexually abused, to speak up publicly about their lived experience from micro abuses to big macro abuses and to speak out publicly about um, their experience. Um, okay, so woman speaks up. And someone, usually a man, is often accused of something. Okay, that's largely how, how things played out or are playing out. So if all that happens is that woman speaks up or abused person speaks up, someone gets accused of perpetrating that abuse, that person who's accused loses their job and then silently gets their job back later when nobody's looking, then nothing's changed or very little has changed. I mean, the ability to speak up when you felt silence is a huge thing. It's a step. It's not the whole thing, but it is a really critical step. So that, that has changed to a degree. But if the people just get accused fairly or unfairly, lose their jobs fairly or unfairly, and then get their jobs back, the system isn't really changing. You're just creating this sort of tolerance loop to let the people that are speaking up feel like they're being heard without actually being heard in a way that creates lasting change. Okay. So now for gross abuses of power with very powerful people, usually men, uh, like Harvey Weinstein, for example, yes, they should be immediately removed from power. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was more interesting to me, because I'm not part of that 1% by any stretch of the imagination, where I live is with regular people. So I'm much more interested in the other 99%, how we experience this, how, how we who are the larger majority of the people engage with the complexity of this situation. So... What was more interesting to me were articles written by men who witnessed women speaking up and then more and more and more and, and the levels of detail and microaggressions the women started talking about in very clear, fair ways and men realizing, shit, I've been an abuser and I didn't even know it. And those articles were really interesting. But then how do they circle back? So the next level of conversation, so the next part of the conversation was what do who realizes they've been abusive do? 
how do they circle back? Do they circle back? Does the person who was abused even want an apology? How do they give an apology without re-triggering trauma? Has the person done uh, an amount of healing in their life so that they don't really care about healing from that perpetrator from when they were 15 again? This is where it gets really complex is how do we create ways to move out of the accusation, um, bad name, lose job, get job back, nothing changing or little changing? How do we move into the, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the steps that it actually takes to um, cr- begin to create a culture where we're very easily, consciously, but easily raising children that aren't going to propagate the same pattern? Because we learned it from our parents and our parents learned it from their parents, right? We are the culture that we need to change. So this is to me what is interesting. The Me Too movement started, it's a step. It's not the thing. It's a thing in a much bigger, more complex thing that needs desperately to happen. Are you the kind of person Who's down for that third, fourth, and fifth step right now today? And if you're not, how do you get yourself there? For me, that is precisely a right use of your shamanic practice to engage with your own helping spirits to understand how you stand in the way. What is it in your life that's in the way of you becoming a person that can actually do Imagine even what steps three, four, and five are in that conversation that allows us to move to a place where our children are raised differently. So that's not even the point of my show, but they're good questions and good reasons to journey. There's also the need in this whole um conversation, I guess, in big air quotes, around Me Too movement, movement, there's also the piece of it that is about recognizing, this is also very much true in, uh, in issues around race, is that it is the job of those who have the rank and privilege and power to educate themselves. And so there were a lot of good stories about men reaching out to women to go to find out. And it's like, you know, go read. Go read the many books that have been written about this. Go Google someone's great list about the 10 things you must read, the 10 books you must read, you know, to get this and educate yourself. And this is the other piece of this. And actually why I was using Nick as an example is that deep dedication to educating yourself that in a way that helps create context for your experience and that dedication to then the experience, that balance between your own research, your own education and how it informs your actions and your training and your practice and how you bring things into the world. So that is another piece that is interesting that it arose also or is beginning to arise out of this other, this Me Too movement. Which should be way more than a movement, but again, let me just, that's just another place in which clearly our ability to 
manage the complexity necessary to get through the whole big cultural conversation to a new way of being in the world lies before us. And educating yourself is a piece of this. Okay. So the thing is, I don't want to live in a call-out culture because I don't feel it moves us into the complexity of the conversation in a way that's getting us to something that's viable and lasting change. At the same time, I don't want to continue to live in the current culture I live in. Obviously, from what I've done with my entire adult life, obviously, I don't want to live in my current culture in which groups of people are silenced and abused in everyday life as normal, right? I don't want to continue to live in a culture that separates our physical life as the only real life and doesn't acknowledge our life with spirit, the life of our heart, our emotional life. Um, I don't want to continue to be in a culture that believes that the only sane states of being are waking, sleeping, and dreaming. Like I, I have obviously dedicated my entire life to creating lasting change in that culture because it's my culture. It's the culture I'm part of. So I am the problem everywhere I'm not actively endeavoring and educating myself either through research or experience into being part of the answer. And this is what I'm encouraging us to do with our shamanism. And this is, of course, the reason why shamanism now exists and all of those many, many hours of podcasts in the archives. So how do we use the word shaman is a similar is a conversation that requires similar complexity to the Me Too movement, frankly, because it also involves a group of people with more rank, privilege, and power going in and taking things that aren't theirs to take in, in vast, uh, expansive ways in our current time. However, to have this conversation in a way that's going to create any kind of lasting change requires a capacity for complexity. It requires that you educate yourself. It requires that we grow. And it also requires that we actually have hope for a different future. Or why are we bothering? Okay. So, shaman. The word shaman and what it means. So here's how Nick and I agree. That the shaman, a person who is in the role of shaman, is entering into a trance state on purpose. In other words, they have volition. They have the capacity to engage the trance state, to enter into it, to act in it in a way that they have a sense of what is going on and come out of it with volition. Okay, that's the first part that makes it, makes the person's role the shaman's role. The next thing is that in that altered state, alternate state, there are helping spirits, not just general healing energy, because any good healer in any form moves healing energy, the archetypal energy of healer. It's moving through anyone who is doing any kind of healing with yourself or others or a tree, frankly, that's healing itself after it got hit by a car. That's general healing energy. Some names are given 
to healing energy in different languages and in particular ways to move healing energy that are trademarked like Reiki. These are all valid healing. It's not shamanic. The power of shamanic healing moves through the relationship between the human and a helping spirit, which is a definable energy that shows up as the same pattern of energy every time. It doesn't necessarily present visually the same, but it's the same pattern of energy and thus called a helping spirit for lack of any better words in English. I'm sure they have much better words in other cultures. Anyway, so trance helping spirit and that actions are taken in non-ordinary reality usually in a in a tandem way in which the helping spirits are working through the person there's some way that the helping spirits are doing the work but the human beings energy or free will or focus or questions or something is needed there their hands their feet their words, like there's something about that co-creation that happens in non-ordinary reality. So that's the important thing. Trance, helping spirits, actions taken in non-ordinary reality that affect a change here in ordinary reality. So some desired end is either perpetual. Uh, perpetuated so it's it's started so that it can run its course and come into manifestation or made manifest through these actions in ordinary reality so there is a change in the physical world by doing something in the invisible with the help of spirit okay so that defines shamanic a shaman's job okay And I utterly and completely agree with Nick, as do a whole lot of other people on the planet, right? And what I am saying is that if this isn't what is happening, you should not be using the word shaman. Because preserving, period, because it's not shaman. If it's not this, it's not shaman based on the people from whom the word shaman comes who are doing these things. Okay, so my point is if, it, if that isn't what's happening, you shouldn't be using the word shaman. It's irresponsible. And it's potentially appropriation given who you are, potentially appropriation if you're in a power over position. Okay, all of that, all of that is true. But you shouldn't be using the word shaman inappropriately because we need to preserve the essence of that word. Because we need to preserve the essence of that practitioner. Because we need to preserve the power in that role. Because humanity needs it now to make the changes we must make if there's going to be a viable future for our grandchildren's children. Uh, and I mean this very seriously, and I have enormous hope for the future. But not if we trash this word and this meaning and we utterly lose what it actually means to be in that role of the shaman. So in this way, I agree with Nick entirely. We also agree that if you're talking about a particular culture, you should educate yourself enough to use the word they use 
for the person who performs this shaman function. So you need to educate yourself. We all need to educate ourselves and we need to speak carefully. So if I'm speaking about Zulu people, I'm speaking about Sangoma. I'm not using the word shaman, right? Because people have their own words for the person who performs this shaman function. I'm speaking small s, you know, shaman function in their life. The important thing for us to accept as humans on this planet right now is the very lang- the languages of the people who need this essence the most, which I would consider people speaking Spanish, German, English, and French, <laughs> most likely need this the most, don't have a word for this in their language. And so we need a word for this. And I, right now, since we are so desperately in need of this function to be performed, we might as well use the people who are at the heart of of how this word is defined. It is defined. And so we need to use it in a respectful, educated, careful way. So Nick and I also agree with a few other things. Let me move along here. Um, So we agree with a few other things. In some cultures, other roles are expected of their shamans, like a medicine person in, um, in the Amazon, in the rainforest. Being a medicine person is also expected. In, other, in several other cultures, it is as well. Okay, but not all. All right. We agree that the spirits call and initiate shamans, not people. We agree that the color of your skin isn't something the spirits pay attention to. The spirits call who they call. They initiate who they initiate. They train who they train. However, it is also true that a shaman's spirit may move down through a family line. And so for that particular type of spirit that assists shamans that may follow DNA. But it is not universally true because the other helping spirits don't care. You're a human. They see us as a human family. They don't see race. They certainly don't see genetics. Okay. So the other thing that Nick and I agree about is that pursuing Training to be a shaman is a really shitty way to approach personal growth because that's not what it's for. Personal growth is a byproduct of shamanic training, but it is not the purpose and and it is a very wrong-minded approach. On the other hand, back to the quote from Nick, learning – To live as an animist with shamanic practices embedded in that is a great way to do your personal growth. Okay. Personal growth is a byproduct but not a guarantee of shamanic training, training to be in the shaman function. Okay. The other thing is um, not all shamans, so those people that are called and are trained and are initiated spirit by spirit still not all shamans are able to consistently meet the challenges of the work and to keep their hearts pure either because they make problematic decisions themselves or they're unable to to 
to clear and cleanse themselves from the work and end up getting cloudy and occluded in their heart. So the fact that one has been chosen, in a sense, by spirit does not mean you can do it over time. It's not an easy role to stand in. Okay, so this is where Nick and I don't agree. That I actually believe that embodiment trance states also count. And I actually believe from my own research and my own experience that the very people that use journeying trance states that are that essential defining uh, define the function of the shaman in that culture also use more embodiment trance states than people like to talk about because people particularly Westerners of European descent, particularly those of great whiteness and also masculinity have challenges with embodiment. It's just part of the package of patriarchy. And so for me, I see as long as the embodiment trance state connects the person with a helping spirit supports them in taking action in non-ordinary reality that creates a change in ordinary reality that is desired for the community or the place or the land or the people, um, then it's still meeting the same criteria as the shaman function. This is a really big distinction. It involves half of the people on the planet. It's very subtle. And so the reason I'm painstakingly dragging you through this here today is I'm trying to illustrate how much complexity is in an actual question of whether or not and how we should be using this one word. One word. Okay. So so my point in this is that I would love to see as we move into this next decade – People who are educated looking at their use of the word shaman and realizing, you know, I really need to stop doing this because it's not actually accurate. I now know enough. I've experienced enough. I have enough education to realize this thing isn't really shamanism. It isn't really a shaman function. And let's be creative and create some new words to define things. Talk about it. Let's actually have conversations about it and talk about it. Instead of just yelling at each other about who gets to use the word shaman and why. But it is important for those who do, just like the men who realized, holy crap, I've been an abuser. I thought I was one of the good guys. There are going to be a lot of people that identify as shamanic practitioners and think that they're in the shaman function who have to realize, holy crap, now that I've really educated myself here and have some experience with this work, I realize that I'm not really doing the shaman function. I have a relationship with helping spirits. I do journey and I do other things. And they are effective and they are healing, but they're not the shaman function. And so maybe I really shouldn't call myself a shaman because it's precisely that arena that is where 
the argument that the word is being used as a piece of appropriation becomes valid. It is when in our lack of words, particularly in English, and I can only speak for American English, but our lack of words for these roles, our lack of appreciation for these things in our culture, certainly, our lack of a willingness to even acknowledge that they're not insane, right? We don't have words, but we need to use our words carefully. And so let's get some words. Let's find the words that really describe what we're doing. And let's be careful and conscious about how we're using the word shaman. So think about these things. So given all these things, thinking about who you are and what you're doing, if you're not actually thinking at this level, I really am saying please stop telling people they can't use the word or claiming that you can. If you haven't educated yourself and had enough experience to appreciate this conversation here today, you don't know enough yet to say that. Okay? You don't get to say, I get to do whatever I want just because you're white. And you don't get to say, no, you can't just because you have an alignment with Native Americans or something. And that's the other thing. Please, everybody, could we stop posting pictures of Native Americans and the deep wisdom of these people as if it's our own and posting it on shamanic sites? Native American North Americans actually have very rich spirit active cultures that are different. There were gajillions of nations here in North America, right? Had many, many huge range of practices with helping spirits. And a whole lot of it isn't actually shamanic. And so Native Americans should not be just blanketly described as being shamanic. They're definitely animistic. Right? But educate yourselves. Educate yourselves. Learn. Be careful. Be curious. Be compassionate. Take a breath. Appreciate the wisdom of Chief Seattle, for example. And then if you want to post it, speak to why. Share of yourself how you, as whatever kind of person you are, are moved to do what in your life because of the words of Chief Seattle. Okay, anyway, moving on. I, I go off on that all day, but I'm trying to, again, stay with the complexity and not be distracted. Okay, so education. Have you educated yourself to have this conversation about using the word shaman? Do your research study other cultures. If all you have ever done is study shamanism in the Andes, which would be the Quechua people, most likely, in the Andes, maybe Shipibo, whatever, speak to your people that you're studying with. Respect them. Use their names. Use their word for the shaman function. Um, and have the respect to understand if you've only studied, studied in a certain cultural tradition. That is all you know about. You don't know about the whole global experience of different shamanic cultures. 
And so my not that that's good or bad. I mean, you're doing what you're called to do. My point is use your words based on that education and that experience carefully. Because back to what my real point of this show is, not that I'm right about defining shaman. My real point of this show is defining this and tending this essence, caring about it, using this word carefully, but using it correctly, accurately, and allowing those who are called to really show up in the world, in the shaman function. And if you're not, stop watering it down because this essence desperately needs to be tended so that we can carry it forward into the future and use it now so we have a future. Okay, so educate yourself, educate, uh, learn about other cultures, be aware of how learning within a particular culture creates the context for how you view things, practice animism, and be aware of what the practice of animism really means. And I encourage you to live have a lived relationship, a working relationship with spirit. I mean, this is what, why shamanism now is all about, is how everyday ordinary people can have a lived working relationship with spirit. And it's not becoming a shaman. It's becoming a human. It's my bumper sticker, basically. Okay. So I'm not going to bore you with a story I've actually probably already told you five times. But it's about marketable. Are you using the word shaman to market yourself, to make yourself or your products more desirable, more sexy, more exotic, more something than they are? I'm really inviting people to be really honest and sober. Are you using the word to market what you do or sell? If you are, Is it an honest and accurate description of what you offer? Are you offering the shaman function? So is it, are you literally describing your work with that word? So for example, if you're basically, I don't know, a really skilled therapist and you're offering soul retrieval as a modality, That is not the shaman function. So I'm inviting us all who've been in this for decades to shake ourselves off here, sober up, be honest, and recognize we all are in this together. And we need to tend the essence of this word carefully so that we know what we mean when we say shaman and we have them to help us to do what we need to do. So is it a literal description of your work or are you caving into market pressures? And believe me, I understand that. I have been faced with this for 30 years. I get it. But are you caving into market pressures? Um, So ask yourself these kinds of questions. Are you simply using it as an issue of marketing, allowing your publisher to push you into using it as an issue with marketing? Or, on the other hand, pushing you away from it if it is the right use of the word, right? Consider honestly. Okay. The next thing is if – 
there's a there's an argument out there that the beauty of shamanic life is that one size does not fit all. And that is true in the certain sense that we are working with our own helping spirits, with direct revelation. And that is one of the great strengths of shamanism is that everybody is their own connection to um, spirit versus having to go through a go-between. Absolutely. And at the same time, this is used constantly as a bypass to say just because my helping spirit said I'm doing shadow work, I'm doing shadow work. It's like, well, you're not doing, for example, shadow work unless you're actually accessing a shadow self and transforming it thoroughly and being able to mobilize the change of that energy in your life. It's it's a complex process. You're not doing it just because your spirit said you are. Right, So there is an aspect of bypass in this. Shamanism covers all bases, and it's whatever anybody says it is. Okay, So that's another place where you are in the scary nation of appropriation. You're not using the word shaman in a way that tends its essence. Okay, So be careful of that excuse for bypass. This, oh, it's not one size fits all. Anything I do with my helping spirit goes as long as my helping spirit says so. That is a gross misunderstanding of true shamanic practice and true animus practice, actually. So if your argument you're about to say or type starts with, well, shamanism means many different things. It usually goes to many different people, but you need to stop yourself because shamanism and shaman doesn't mean many different things it means one very specific thing and so for myself and i am a white woman right i don't i don't have any claims to anything exotic that gives me quote unquote a right to use the word shaman i choose to use the word shaman because i believe that we as in we humanity need to preserve the essence of this word in a way that preserves the true essence of this thing, this shaman function, right? So that we use this real thing. Or I believe that we will not be able to rise to the challenges of our time in ways that create a viable future for our descendants. So this is an invitation to anyone who bothers to listen to this podcast to consider carefully and begin to tend the essence of the word. Use it where it's accurate and don't where it's not. Tend it because it is so critical to our survival. And if we tend this together and begin again to use our words more carefully and be creative where we need a word, we can do this together. So I give enormous gratitude to the helping spirits that will help us in this and those that have helped us in this podcast today. Gratitude to the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. I invite you all to go to lastmaskcenter.org to my website. Um, woefully in need of a facelift, but the courses for 2020 are posted and in particular the sequence of courses so that you get your prerequisites done prior 
to the more in-depth trainings that lots of people want. And I bring this up because energy body mastery is a prerequisite for almost everything. And the registration for that course will go live in the beginning of February. So you could look at the homepage at lastmasscenter.org and give some thought to what you might want to do in 2020. And I look forward to you joining me. Thank you, everyone. Have a good week.